welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. I'm Larry. I got Derek here with me. And this week we are going to talk about who Jesus is. But before that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Jesus Name News Podcast. Listen, if you like what you're hearing, if you want to continue getting this great content and you want to help support us, consider going to patreon.com slash Jesus Name News. You won't be sorry that you did. Thank you for listening. All right, so I know that that intro is really simplistic compared to what we really do all the time, but hear us out. Because it seems over the last 50 years or so uh, of Western Christianity, there's been an emphasis on our identity in Christ. And the Bible places a lot of emphasis on that as well, but we seek to understand our place in his kingdom and in his church. We've opted to focus on certain aspects uh, of Christ that we can identify with. However, the identity of Jesus is also emphasized in the Bible. Yet we see movements that focus on, you know, they choose to focus on whether it be self-help or, you know, whatever, through our identity in Christ instead of understanding who he is. And again, that's fine. You know, if you, sometimes you need those sermons, very true. And I believe it's integral to being a Christian to understand who you are in Christ. But the understanding and knowing the identity of Jesus will give us a greater admonition, love, and dependency on him. Thereby, we can accurately and effectively reflect his identity to the world because how do you claim to follow a God that you don't know, right? And I want to take us to a woman who was so desperate to get to Jesus. Her testimony actually shows up in all three synoptic gospels, which gives it some special weight because we can generally say without a shadow of a doubt, this is a historical record. This happened. And that's just me speaking from a, a historian's point of view, not a spiritual point of view, right? So, Larry, if you want to read uh, Luke 8, 42, the second half, 42 through 48. Okay. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, 
declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Yeah. You know, we hear that story spoken so many times by pastors and preachers and evangelists. But I think that what's important is, and I love the way Luke put it, says she touched the fringe of his garment. So first of all, let's talk about who this woman is and what she had. She is described as having an issue of blood, uh, probably menorrhagia or possibly hemorrhoids. Uh, Menorrhagia, again, is, you know, just basically kind of like the monthly cycle, but can't really be stopped if you want to think of it that way and every doctor that she tried everything that she did didn't cure this this condition Uh, however her condition would have made her a couple of things ritually unclean according to jewish law and that would bring her social and religious isolation you know, so Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And there's this large crowd, crowd around Jesus, and they're trying to all get to him, talk to him. And what's funny to me is like they're all trying to, to get to Jesus. They're all trying to look at him, or they're all trying to just have a word with him. But they're not actually touching him. You know, you can... You can gather around in churches. You can gather around in your home even and pray, go about your way and treat it as a, as a almost just run through it sort of deal. Or you can do what this woman did and actually go in there with some faith about who he is. And, This woman was indeed very desperate for healing, but she was also desperate for religious and social restoration. And she knows that Jesus is casting out demons because this is, I believe, shortly after he casts out, he goes to Gennesaret and casts out the demons. But she knows he's cleansing lepers. She knows he's healing the lame. And she says to herself, if I can touch the fringe of his garment, I'll be healed. So she's pushing closer and closer to Jesus. And finally she reaches him. She touches him. And Jesus immediately turns around and says, who touched me? And I believe it's actually recorded somewhere in one of the other gospels that Peter says this. He just says, we're surrounded by everyone. And you're asking who's touching you. Everyone is touching you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. This person touched me in a way that I felt something leave me. First of all, that's powerful because when can you touch the Savior in such a way that something leaves him? Yeah. He said, I felt virtue. I mean, mean, think about it. Like She's reaching for his identity as God and something left him. If that don't like, tell you what kind of God we serve, yeah. 
you know, he says, I perceive that, I believe the KJV says virtue, but that rendering is actually power. He says, I believe that dynamos has left me, has went out from me. And all I can think about is obviously we get the word dynamite from the word dynamos, but all I can think about is that that burst of energy that created the universe went out from him. That, that power that created heaven and earth, the power that planted every tree in the garden, the, the power that set the entire world into motion went out and touched this woman. Yeah. And she comes with fear because she doesn't realize what she's done. She's like, whoa, I, I thought I would get healed. But whatever I did, there's something completely different. And she, so she comes to him with fear and trembling and tells him everything. And Jesus says, daughter, go. And that, first of all, daughter, like a, I could get stuck on that word right there for a while. But daughter, you've been religiously and socially isolated. And the creator of the entire universe looks at you and says, daughter. You know, I actually, I wanted to touch on that real quick because I, I don't think we realize exactly how isolated she would have been. Like, she wouldn't have just been seen as an outsider. Like, it's extreme. So the ritual uncleanliness that she would have experienced, and it doesn't matter what it was either, yep. whether it was, you know, her menstrual cycle, continued and just never stopped or it was some sort of hemorrhoids or anything from that area it doesn't matter any kind of unnatural emission right or menstruation makes you ritually impure here's the thing though it doesn't just make that person um, impure okay it makes anybody who touches them also impure until they go through purification rituals it makes anybody who touches any chair that they sit in or any furniture that they sit upon ritually impure until they go through ritual ritual purification it makes anybody who touches any vessel of any sort that she touches so she couldn't cook dinner for her family without causing their her entire family to have to be purified before anybody else in their community could touch them. She, her, I mean, okay. go, go even further, her husband, if she had yeah. one, you know, that she's, so she's not only religiously and socially isolated, she's also romantically or, you know, uh, family-wise isolated. Yeah. And it, it just, that just puts it into perspective how desperate she was, though. Yeah. Because when we think of, oh, she was just ritually unclean, that's a good enough basis for a, a, a sermon right there. But it doesn't fully entail and tell us why. Because, look, we've all been through a pandemic. Like, we can all go to virtual church and... We know what that is, and it's not my favorite, don't get me wrong. And if you have the ability to go to a physical church, by all means do so. But 
we kind of lived through a pandemic and we were all religiously isolated. We were all kind of socially isolated, especially for those of us that a lot of our social comes from friends or work or whatever. It isolated us. And that was only for what? A year, year and a half. Yeah. And not only that, everybody was bending their lives to try and make do with it. So everybody was isolated in the same way. So everybody was trying to come up with solutions to the isolation. And she would have been the only one isolated. The reality of humans. And and, I mean, hey, it's what we do is most of the people in her life just would have stopped being around her. They just, I mean, I'm not saying day one, they would have stopped, but 12 years, they would not have kept dealing with it for 12 years when they could just go find some new friends and not have to deal with it. Like, like we, we, I think we minimize how, awful what her illness actually was because you know i i just i i've never thought of it as like a life-threatening illness it was never anything like it was annoying but like the actual desperation that this woman felt it was in that isolation she would have been willing to go through whatever any crazy doctor suggested she do to try to fix this. Yep. And I mean, knowing the little bit we know of documented medicine from like the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries, I can only imagine what crazy people were suggesting in the first century. Yeah. I mean, the, and again, like you, you know, There's no doubt whatever she went through, not only probably, not only was she spiritually and emotionally like drained, but physically drained and physically hurting and physically like, because there's no telling like what kind of concoction she may have had to take that damaged her body, body further, you know. Well, another thing to think about is think about this. As she's crawling through that crowd, every whether they realize touched. it or not, every person that she brushed in that crowd was made ritually unclean. Jesus yep. was made unclean. And that's, and again, that's why I think technically, that yeah. like, I, I mean, he healed her in her touching him. So I don't, and that, but I think that's that's where yeah. that's where the beauty lies in it because she was desperate. She went in faith, and when she touched him, you know, we often hear that God can't dwell in an unclean temple. So when she touched him, you know, thereby quote unquote making Jesus unclean. The God in Jesus said no, and it went out and not only healed her, but I believe that every person she touched was probably not ritually unclean at that point because, and I'm not saying God left Jesus. I'm, I'm saying that power, that 
that unclean power that was coming to Jesus could not withstand the glory that was within Jesus. And that's, that's dictated to us all throughout the old Testament where ministers cannot stand to even you know, be in the presence of God because the glory cloud was so thick or, you know, whatever it, that is a documented case. And that's what I believe honestly it was. It was that that unclean nature cannot even stand in the presence of an almighty God. Yeah. It's just interesting because like, I feel like this is one of, if not the only miracles in the Bible that are done without the will of the person, quote unquote, performing the miracle. You're right. I mean, and and I think that this is isolated. Well, the, some of it's not isolated, but like, the fact that he had no knowledge that she was going to do it and the impurity that she brought with her is, but yeah, I mean, definitely this, this isn't an isolated thing, but the touching of the fringe, right? Yeah. Cause right. He, in Matthew 14, it says he verse 34 says, and when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of the place recognized him, they sent out, sent around to all that region and brought to all him who to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many touched it were made well now i in the case of both these words fringe the greek word for fringe in this scripture is craspidon and it's also translated as a few things him edge, border, corner, and tassel. The thing that this woman and these people were reaching for are the tallit and the zitzit of Jesus. And based on what we've described about this Adam, Jesus was wearing it because he fulfilled the law and the prophets entirely, yet everything that the zitzit represented was embodied in Jesus' identity. The, the God of heaven and earth in a body chose to wear something that represented himself. And so here, here's, I'm going to take us through, we talked about this at the beginning of this series, but it was a reminder of the Shema, right? The Shema discusses serving God as the only God. And the blessings and promises that he would bestow on them. Jesus echoes this in Matthew 22 when he says, He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And verse 39 says, And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These are the two commandments that unite God to man, man to his fellows, and men again to God. And he goes on to have a discussion with the Pharisees in the next verses saying, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your uh, put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
And what I think is interesting about this is one, he kind of reprimands the Pharisees for saying son of David, David. But when he's passing through Jericho and blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, thou son of David, Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to. That's interesting to me. And it just goes to show that it wasn't about what you knew or how educated you were. It was more about your heart and desperate, the desperation you had in your faith. And Jesus turns to the Pharisees to show them, though, that their inability to identify the Messiah is grounded in ignorance of messianic prophecy. And the idea that the Messiah was to be the son of David was obviously universal, but thinking of him as only the son of David is inadequate. Jesus is trying to show them that he is not only earthly, he is divine. He is not only of the lineage of David, he is the Lord of David. Jesus was a fulfillment of every single prophecy God had given to the Jews. He was the God-man on earth. He silenced his critics in one day. Citing the Shema and the Son of David, the wisdom of God overcame the cunning of men. And then it was to remind them that Jews are God's servants, right? Jesus describes himself as a servant of God. He, the, the Old Testament prophets described him as the servant of God. And the death that Jesus died was a death that was reserved for slaves and, you know, the worst of the worst criminals in some cases, you know, even in his death, he was a servant. Zitzitz are about greeting the face of God. And Jesus told the people, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said, I and my father are one. He, Gabriel calls him Emmanuel. So does Isaiah. Isaiah says of him, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is the Shekinah glory that fell in the temple and in the tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies. He is Yahweh. These verses were where the fringe of Jesus' robe is touched, supports the earlier theory that we talked about that of David and Saul, that the hem or edge of a garment stood for the wearer's authority. And the bleeding woman believed that if she could only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would experience the power of his person and authority. Her act was not a matter of superstition, but a silent cry to grant her his personal attention and healing power. Jesus allowed those who connected with him by touch to experience who he was, and that is the great physician. You know, Ignatius of Antioch wrote of Jesus, there is one physician of flesh and spirit, originate and unoriginate, God and man, true life and death, son of Mary and son of God, first passable, then impassable, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But he not only worked on the physical side of things, because he's the great physician, he also works on the spiritual side of things. And it's said of the Zitzit to help deliver people by, uh, from sin by looking at it and remembering who they are in Yahweh. God spoke to Moses from the burning bush saying, I am that I am. And he said, say this to the, to the people, I am has sent me to you. As the I am delivered Israel from the power of the Pharaoh and the bonds of slavery, the angel told Joseph, he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Zechariah had this to say after John the Baptist was born. And it says, 
I believe it's in Luke chapter one, verse 67 through 79. I'm going to quickly read this because it's some of the most powerful scripture that I've ever read. And it says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun rise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John opened up his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life and the life was a lot of men. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. But more importantly, <clears throat> our identity in Christ. The Shema was supposed to remind Jews that they are set apart. They are aristocrats. Jesus told that Samaritan woman at the well that salvation was of the Jews. Jesus called Zacchaeus a son of Abraham, invoking the covenant. Jesus equates the Jews with children and Gentiles and he equates the Gentiles with dogs in telling the woman that it was not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. But she says, yea, Lord, even the dogs beg for the crumbs for the master's table. Zitzit were used to remind Israel of God and his commandments. But why would a common Israelite wear garments of authority, royalty, priesthood, and holiness? Just as Israel had priests who mediated between God and the people, the people as a whole, were to be a kingdom of priests to mediate between God and the nations. God's people were to be set apart. It's as 19 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, shall be, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to me. But this isn't just limited to the Jews anymore. Peter drew on Exodus 19 and 5 through 6 to tell Christians in Asia Minor, 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
The symbolism of the Talit and the Zitzi reminds believers in Jesus of their identity in the Messiah. Now, not only Israel, but all the all humanity has the opportunity through Jesus to become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This invokes the blessings of Exodus 19. It invokes the blessings that Zechariah spoke of. Of course, as in ancient times, such a privilege comes only when we are committed and obedient. But this woman with the issue of blood, she was not just reaching for another prophet. She's not just reaching for the foretold promises of God. She was not just reaching for another rabbi. She was not just reaching for another healer. She was not just reaching for another deliverer. She was reaching for the one whom the prophets foretold. She was reaching for the fulfillment of all those promises. She was reaching for the master. She was reaching for the Messiah. She was reaching for the deliverer. She was reaching for God himself because that is his identity. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And while the New Testament does not call on us to wear the tallit or the zitzit, our identification as followers of Jesus goes further. Jesus calls us to be obedient to him in the way we act, how we present ourselves and act in our daily lives. Make sure that we reflect a heart mind and soul that is committed to God and proclaims that Jesus is our King, reminding us and others of him. Instead of reaching for these things that you believe identify you, that you believe fulfill broken promises that that will that you believe will sustain you, reach for the one who's called you by name. Reach for the one who has the name which is above every name. Reach for the one whose train fills the temple. Reach for the one who has the keys to death, hell, and conquered the grave. Because we have for far too long tried to identify God for ourselves and tried to identify with parts of Jesus. When in reality, we need to identify with the entirety of who he is. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is Alpha and Omega. Because... We were Bon Bartimaeus shouting, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. And he left the, his beggar's garment, the garment, the thing that identified him as a beggar. He left it on the ground because he said, I'm never going to need that again once I touch him. We were, we were that woman with the issue of blood crawling through the crowd, just trying to touch Jesus. We were that woman at the well who experienced the shunning of society in the embrace of a savior. We were the leper who turned back to give Jesus praise and thank him. We are Zacchaeus, labeled unworthy by society, but a son of Abraham by God. 
Why? Because the world tries to identify us. We try to identify ourselves. But when Jesus calls you by your name, that's it. That is who you are. Your world stops because the creator has called his creation. And there's only one response. Worship. Because what once separated us is gone. What what wants to find us is, is gone. We are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And that is his identity. He comes to make all things new. He comes to set set free the captive. He comes to to separate the just from the unjust. He comes so that we might have life. He came, John said of him, in him was light, and that light was light was the life of men. He is a savior. He's a redeemer. And though we be shaped in iniquity, he has redeemed us to become his people. And I just think, and I, I think about this pretty often. I think of what it was like to have Jesus say your name and audibly hear it. Could you imagine being Martha, who was vexed with devils, a prostitute, and the Messiah says, Martha? Could you imagine being Peter, that foul-mouthed sailor who's tricky and smart-mouthed? And Jesus looks at him and said, no longer are you going to be called Simon, but you're going to be called Peter. Because upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Could you imagine when Paul is stopped on the road to Damascus and Jesus says, Paul. And, you know, we think of Paul in that situation that it's the light that overcomes Paul. But what Paul knew was the law. What Paul knew was getting the spirit on you. So when Paul heard his name come from Jesus, I believe he felt something in him for the first time ever. The light was bright, sure. You know, the the monologue that Jesus gave Paul was amazing, sure. But he said Paul. He said Saul. I believe he said Saul, but the point is that's what Jesus is doing every day for people all over the world. Whether they hear it or not, okay. But just imagine, I've had a lot of people call my name. I've had a lot of people look at me and, you know, Use my name slenderously. Have you had them use my name for good? But the only time where I've actually felt something stir inside me is that thought that Jesus looks at me and he says, Derek, 
in your whole your that changes your whole worldview because I'm creation. I'm not worthy. I feel like Peter a lot of times when Jesus steps in the boat and he says, cast your nets on the right side of the ship and they bring in this huge hall and Peter turns around and he says, get away from me for I am a sinful man. That's how I feel most of the time. And I know that's who I am most of the time, but Jesus looks at him and says, look, you're a fisherman right now, but I've called you to go fish for men. Because the identity, understanding your identity fully in Christ requires you to understand Jesus fully. If you're trying to identify with part of Jesus, you're getting part of a gospel. The Bible says that he was tempted in all ways as we are tempted. Don't you want to be able to overcome everything, not just some things? Don't you want to be able to overcome death and hell and the grave and and be able to, to walk through life redeemed no matter what comes your way and with a little bit of joy? Because if Jesus was tempted in all ways that we are tempted and came out clean, understanding him in that fullness of who he is as God manifests in the flesh a, a perfect sacrifice, a, a shepherd to his sheep, a, a creator. Imagine what he can do with you. If you're ever going to find your identity, it's got to be fully in Christ. Just as God is fully in Christ. And... You know, that I know that that was probably a really big monologue, but hey, I I wasn't stopping that. (laughs) I'm just sitting here going, I mean, by all means, you keep dropping that fire. Well, (laughs) you know, when you when you sit back and you think about your life, it's like what would you we hear all the time in revivals and probably in churches sometimes church services what would you do if jesus walked in right now that's a question that we often hear but the reality is that none of us really know peter fell at his feet and asked him to leave paul had scales come on his eyes Matthew left his occupation entirely. Peter, James, John, they all they all left. They left the occupation that that fed their families to follow this man who called himself the Messiah. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if I'm being honest, because each reaction that I see in the Bible is a reaction, is an extreme reaction. Paul literally left one religion, said, 
that all has been fulfilled and went and preached Jesus, someone that he was fully against. Do you not see the, the extremes in the Bible? There is a complete 180 in all these people. You know, it's interesting, though, there's a whole bunch of other people that don't actually get mentioned that had experiences with Jesus, didn't even notice. Well, and John says... "There's a Yeah, there's a bunch of people who got healed and then crucified him. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, we know these stories because they're the amazing ones. You know, yep. it's kind of like saying, like, we know the stories of missionaries that, you know, preach revivals of tens of thousands and who were martyred and who, you know, did all these huge, amazing things. But do you know the other dozens of missionaries that did a whole bunch of legwork on the ground working with those people who you know of doing the big things? As you John know, says, I don't think that any book in the world, there are never hold. Yeah, could ever hold the glories that happened in in Jesus's life on earth and the glories that were never written down from our missionaries and from average people like me and you like that. I think that's what we get mixed up because I think of when Paul is writing to Timothy and this is been something I, I thought about today on my way home from carrying my car to the shop of all things uh was driving down the road and i just thought about where paul writes to timothy and this is something i latched onto as a young person he says let no man despise your youth but you know live righteously soberly and he tells them what if don't let them despise your youth but live it and I think we get it confused that these disciples, for the most part, were ordinary men. People that we pass by on the street every day. Yeah, Peter may not be a fisherman today or whatever, but you know the equivalent of that is probably an office worker because fishermen were pretty common back then. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ordinary people that refused to recant on who they believed Jesus was and died, most of them painful, excruciating deaths. And what, what kind of plagues me more is that we have young people today that are like, I'm too young. I've got so much more to learn. And yeah, you're you're young. You got a lot to learn and all that. And you should listen to the wisdom of people. I agree. But most of the disciples, I believe Mark was the youngest. I believe Mark at the time was 16, maybe even a little bit younger. Peter, probably the oldest at, you know, 34. 32. I was going to say, I'd imagine that like Andrew was probably somewhat younger just because he was the younger brother. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, although we, to be real, all these ages are guesses. <laughs> to be real, yes. But we can make assumptions. And yeah. 
just I think about you know because generally that fourteen to thirty two range, especially today, you're just trying to figure out your life still. Most of the time, by the age of thirty two, people are. I used to think you have have it all together. You don't. You're still figuring it out. No, you don't. And that's what's amazing to me is that we've we forget that these the, these disciples were young, ordinary people that were called. And that makes them at shorter. I mean, that that's that's the kind of God we serve. A God that can take something that is completely ordinary, like a talit or a zitzit, and wave and weave something so beautiful. He's not a creator for nothing, right? But yeah, you know, that being said. try to understand yourself in the fullness of Jesus, not in parts of him. You don't want to get part of a gospel and end up in hell. You want to get the full gospel, the full truth. And understanding and knowing him in his fullness as God manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, and received up into glory, Understanding him in that fullness and in what he did on earth and finding yourself in that, you can't go wrong. And we'll see you guys next week.